So I had come from a much larger organization and here I was now within this smaller team. So it was a fun period for me in a lot of ways because I got a lot of more hands-on experience, but also was very much looking forward to expanding my team. I had some great support. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven, sustainable product brand leaders who not only believe it better, but actively pursue it. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, and today we're speaking with Jamie Lamond, founder and CEO of The Kindship Group, about her journey from working in marketing at mission-driven organic brands to launching her own agency. Hello, I'm Jamie Lamond. I am the founder and CEO of The Kindship Group. Awesome. I'm excited to have you on, Jamie. Thanks for joining me. For the audience, Jamie and I go way back. We've been working together across various brands for, I don't know, 10 plus years or something like that. And always been one of my favorite collaborators. So I'm excited to have you on this call. One thing I wanted to kind of touch on is that we've both shared some space in Wisconsin, which is where I started Modern Species and where you're based. But I also know that you didn't start in Wisconsin. So remind me a little bit about your journey to Wisconsin, because I didn't grow up there either. So we both kind of found our way to Wisconsin at some point. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting story and really fun for me to reflect upon. I've been in Wisconsin now for about 18 years. So it definitely feels like home. But I grew up on the East Coast and moving around a little bit. And after college, I did a lot of hiking. I went to the Appalachian Trail. Nice. Yeah, I hiked Maine into New Hampshire. And my hiking partner and I at the time decided to head to the Colorado Trail. So we made a move to Colorado. Well, first we went and visited and hiked a bit, and then we decided to move out there. So that was a big, big move and really exciting time of life. And that stage of life, I was very much a young environmentalist and loved to spend (laughs) a lot of time outdoors and was also looking ahead to how my career was going to unfold. But I really wanted my career to unfold in a way that was very aligned with my personal values. And I didn't totally know what that looked like yet. Makes sense. Yeah. So I started out, I actually worked for a natural home building company. I was living in Durango at the time, and they were based in Pagosa Springs, a lovely couple that ran a company called Earthblock Inc. And that's another story I'll have to tell you more about sometime. But anyway, I loved working with them. They were a family-run business, and they were just doing really great, important work. And I actually met someone who also worked at that company who shared a lot of the same dreams that I had. We fell in love. And he was actually already looking to move to Wisconsin. And I had a dream at that time to own land. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I just thought I would start kind of saving and that that would be something that I would work on. And I knew that I wanted to live as sustainably as I could and what that meant to me. A couple of really key moments, I think, that drew me to that were the woman that I worked for at the natural home building company. She was incredibly food sensitive, Hmm. like just off the charts. And at that time, I had never met anyone with food allergies before. And even today, now looking back, I've never met anyone 
who is as food sensitive as she was. And so she really taught me a lot through getting to know her about the impact that food really has in your body and what organic food really was and why it was so important in her life. And so that was the beginning of me really making the connection between my environmentalism and food production. And of course, as we know, food production is a huge use of our natural resources, but it was my first kind of heart connection into it. And then she had a very close friend named Marion, who was an organic gardener. And we became friends Mm -hmm. and she actually was moving her garden to the woman who owned the natural home building company to her home. So I helped Marion actually move all of her vegetables, pack the pickup truck up and to make the journey over to the new location for the garden. And it was just a really, at that age, it was just a very impactful experience and kind of gave me that other side of getting my hands into the soil and the love of actually growing food was born. So those two women, the woman from the natural home building company, her name's Nora. So between Nora and Marianne, I just had this sort of like very potent moment in life, which at the time I had no idea how much it was really influencing me. So anyway, when I met Dan and we decided to have a relationship and he was looking to Wisconsin for a big move, I was really open to that. I really liked the idea of kind of embarking on an adventure that could lead to owning land and starting to build that sustainable lifestyle. And then one other thing I'll add is that I was from the East Coast, right? And so to me, the Midwest, I thought... I knew I had a friend growing up who went and spent summers in Chicago with her dad. You know, I knew that there was this big city, but mostly in my perception at that age or growing up was that the Midwest was very flat and a lot of cornfields. And Mm -hmm. luckily in my early twenties, I had gone and backpacked pictured rocks with some friends. And so when it was proposed to me to make a move to Wisconsin, I actually had a mental image that it was much more diverse and beautiful landscape. So I was really, it was like just the perfect set of experiences that made me want to just pack it up and make a move to a place I had never visited. Nice. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's the long answer, but there's a lot of pieces there. So, Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, first of all, I didn't even know you could move a garden. <laughs> that's pretty know, cool. That it was right? just kind of like the tra- transplant all the plants to a new location. I guess it makes sense because you can move yeah. plants. But it was a pretty interesting that's exciting. process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I didn't know that your path to Wisconsin was also your path into organic, which is actually a good segue because one of the other questions I wanted to talk to you about was how you ended up working with Organic Valley, which is obviously for those who don't know, which is in Wisconsin, in kind of the farmlands of Wisconsin, or at least the headquarters is. And that's actually how we originally met, is working on some projects together through Organic Valley. But I don't know how you started working there and and what that journey was like, landing in Wisconsin and then somehow getting to work with such an amazing company. Well, before we left Colorado... I started doing some research about the area and there were some hints, like, for example, we had found the region in Wisconsin where we moved to because my partner was looking at topography maps and he could see that it was much more hilly and it's called the Driftless region here. 
So mm-hmm. uh, it means that it was unglaciated and it was all of the landscape was preserved. And so we knew it was a special place from that standpoint. And then we started to see some things in the community. You know, this is a very rural area where I live, but there is a Waldorf school here, one of the few rural-based Waldorf schools. There's kind of a pretty, and then again, you have to remember I moved here 18 years ago. And even at that time, there was a pretty alternative medicine, holistic practitioner Hmm. base here. And then of course I found Organic Valley was headquartered here. And right away when I found them, I kind of fell in love from a distance through the uh, website and thought, okay, this is really up my alley right? They actually had this very cool program at the time called Rootstock. It was sort of the call to action of the website. So I signed up and I got this beautiful packet in the mail at home in Colorado. Everything about it was just very mission and heartfelt and informative. And it really felt like they were really leading a movement that I wanted to be a Mm -hmm. part of. So we were moving to Wisconsin for our lifestyle to get our lifestyle aligned with what we were after. And so we made the move and then got ourselves settled and bought the farm. And then I proceeded to be determined to get a job at Organic Valley. So manifest it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I was just very, I still am, but I was very idealistic and very passionate. And so I just believed that that was what was going to happen next. And so I would literally go in. So at that time, it's a little hard to picture, but Organic Valley is headquartered in a very small town called Lafarge, Wisconsin. And it's a town of probably 750 residents, very small. And their offices were kind of scattered all up and down Main Street in this little town. So, you know, you had like the marketing department in the old cheese building and you had the county mm-hmm. department down the street above the lawyers offices and so on and so forth so it was kind of like this really rural super cool campus and one of the main buildings was the first building that organic valley had purchased in the beginning and they had a retail store there and so you could go in it was very tiny now it's much more developed like little grocery store but back then it was just like a room you would walk into and there were coolers and then there was this big window with a woman who sat there named Becky and her title was the director of first impressions so that was how I met Organic Valley I went into the retail store and I walked up to Becky and I introduced myself and I was ready to get a job and do you have any openings? So anyway, flash forward, I ended up getting hired, met some amazing people that I joined onto the team with. And I started there about six months after I was settled in Wisconsin. Yeah. Nice. And you started in the marketing department? Or yeah, the I did. Department? Where'd you? Okay. I started in the marketing department. I actually started working there for a person named Joel and I was like a marketing assistant So I was hired to help out with a lot of different things. And then very shortly after I started working, the director of the marketing department, she was moving her daughter to college. And I had heard all about there's this woman, Teresa, who was going to be coming back to Wisconsin soon, who lived in Portland and was moving her daughter to college. So she arrived one day. I probably had worked there maybe two or three weeks 
And we just Mm -hmm. really, really hit it off immediately. We were able to share Appalachian Trail stories and we just had a lot in common. And I ended up transitioning to working directly for her. And then I worked for her for 11 years on her team. So I was there, you know, I kind of grew up at Organic Valley. I started working there when I was 23. So I have a lot of different experiences and I held different roles and really just as the company grew, I was also personally growing up as well. I was going to say you kind of grew up together because the company also scaled quite a bit during your Mm -hmm. time there too. How big was it roughly when you started? When I started, it was about, I think it was about 125 million in sales per year or 150, something like that. And then we had about 100, 125 employees. And yeah, I'm not remembering the farmer count at the time, but it was under a thousand farmer members. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was 2003. And then when I left in 2014, we were approaching a billion dollars a year in revenue with well over a thousand farmer members and more employees. And the whole mission had obviously grown amazingly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What was that like being kind of on the inside during that growth? Was it chaotic? Was it organized? Was everyone just like excited and working their butts off to get there? Mm -hmm. Yes, every, all of that. <laughs> Everything that you just said. <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> yeah, it was really amazing. And it was my experience. It felt like normal. You know, it was all I knew is what I'm trying oh, to yeah, say. Yeah. And so looking back now, it was incredible and phenomenal. And, you know, we always said we were a social experiment disguised as a business. And that is 100% <laughs> what it was because the mission is so strong. The mission is to save family farming culture through organic farming. And so that was at the root of everything that we did every day. And you felt that when you were at work. And that's really what fueled all of us through managing growth and being in an environment that needed to have systems, but also needed to be nimble and creative and innovative. Because we were always trying to make one marketing dollar into 10. We had a grassroots mm-hmm. approach. You know, we were a marketing farmer cooperative. We didn't always have yeah. millions and millions of dollars. We had healthy budgets, but we needed to be creative through all of that time. And a lot of it was about relationships and partnerships and finding other mission aligned people and organizations to work with through our marketing efforts. So that was really, really fun. And yeah, there's so many stories. So yeah, I would say it was a great combination of a growing organization that was very good at continuing to create systems and a little bit of healthy, chaotic. (laughs) Very busy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think what's interesting too is the such heavy overlap between mission and marketing or mission and PR there. I think for a while, like the department you were working in was literally just called like mission and messaging or yes, something like that. Was. And it was just so cool that all the different scrappy things Organic Valley was trying to do. I think you even had like a YouTube channel or, or like some sort of frog TV kind of thing. Yeah. And then like you mentioned Rootstock, that publication, and there yes. were festivals like the Kickapoo County Fair. Like there was just so many different things that Organic Valley was involved in that was all just tied to mm-hmm. mission, but was also tied to marketing, but not in like a inauthentic way. It was just, right. you could tell Organic Valley was just living their roots. 
Yeah, that's right. And we were the marketing department for many, many years. And then the chief marketing executive, Teresa, she partially retired into the mission executive role. And that's really when they carved out this mission and messaging department. And that was really to keep that mission very core to the organization and keep the messaging sacred and held in a very intentional way. So at that stage, we were continuing to direct all of the public relations efforts and messaging and you know, internal messaging trainings, ambassador development, crisis communications. We still were really engaged with the strategic philanthropy for the co-op. And then we were still doing a lot of very fun mission-driven marketing campaigns in partnership with the marketing department. So it was always like that my whole career there. And it just seemed to continue to evolve in that direction of like what you're describing. And it obviously worked somehow with all that growth. That's cool. Mm -hmm. What's funny too is alongside all of that fast growth and everyone working their butts off, you decided to start a magazine. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, I mean, tell us how that happened. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Right. That does sound kind of crazy when you put it like that. (laughs) Okay. So in 2009, I was talking with some friends about the Edible Communities publications. So Edible Publications, there's, I think, about more than 80 titles in North America currently, and they're all independently owned and operated. And at that time, they had been around and were becoming more known and growing. And my friend really loved Edible Portland, which at the time was run by Ecotrust and Deborah Kane. And it was a real inspiration for her. And we just loved what it represented and the topics and just the engagement of the storytelling. And we were just kind of talking about it one day. And then we asked ourselves, well, why in the world don't we have one representing Wisconsin? You know, here we are, this total local foods leader. Madison, Wisconsin has the largest producer only farmer's market in the country it's just, you know, a fertile ground in the movement, in the local foods movement. And so that just led for me asking more and more questions. Well, what would it take to have one? And so I got in touch with the founder of Edible Communities, Tracy Ryder, and her partner, Carol Toplian, and found out what it would take. And then I proceeded to have many, many conversations with leaders in the local foods movement in our region and made a huge decision to go for it. And at that point in my life, I was really looking for just another very creative adventure. I was very attracted to doing that project because I knew that it would take me out of my comfort zone. I would learn a bunch of new skills and I would get to meet really interesting people and entrepreneurs and people who were looking at things differently and really breaking the mold in a lot of different areas in the food movement and the food industry and so forth and beverage and just agriculture in general. So we went for it and it was really a labor of love and a really amazing group of people that came together to make that happen. For a while, I was kind of selling a dream because not everyone had seen these publications. I was literally like going into meetings, showing people Edible Portland and Edible Austin. and But there was a lot of community support. Yeah. I think at that time, people knew that storytelling and education around 
why you need to know the story behind your food really matters and that it can actually change social behavior. So there was enough community support that I felt comfortable diving in. So we published our first issue in the summer of 2010 and then published quarterly with the seasons for 10 years. And as you can imagine, there's just tons and tons of stories within that, but it was incredible, the whole experience. And I would do it all over again. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Was that technically your first jump into entrepreneurism? Yes. Yeah. I had done a little bit of freelance work prior to that, but this was like the real deal. Yeah. And also with publishing, I was publisher and editor in chief. So I held a lot of roles. Well, I had just the foundation of my roles was varied from day one. And then I also held other roles within as we went on for the next 10 years And it was really neat, too, because the core team of Edible Madison stayed together uh, the whole time. So we had a really solid group of contributors, photographers, and then our core publishing team. Actually, one of our Kindship Group colleagues, Jim Clausia, he was the creative director and lead photographer for Edible Madison for that whole time. And then, you know, last year in 2020, after a couple of years of cultivating and finding, you know, the right partners, I sold the magazine to two amazing women in Madison who are going to carry it on now. And that was a big transition for me in my life and my profession. I live really rurally. I'm about two hours from Madison. And so the mission of the magazine was really to connect a food shed. And I was mm-hmm. in the more agricultural rural part of that. So I obviously traveled a lot back and forth to Madison, but I always had this vision that one day I would pass the baton to people who lived in Madison and then it would have yeah. this whole other second life getting to do nice. it, you know, from the other angle. So it was very exciting for me to find partners who wanted to take that and run with it. So one year ago, yeah, uh, this last weekend, I passed the baton right as COVID was starting to uh, hit our lives. Yeah. It's both exciting and scary to hand off your baby. Yes. <laughs> Something you just nurtured and raised for 10 years and then send them off to school or send them off to their right. new parents or something. So that's exciting though. Yeah. It's like an art of letting go and knowing that you're letting go so that something can grow in ways that you maybe wouldn't have grown it. That was, I think, what really inspired me through that transition. I think getting fresh infusion of energy and perspectives is really important in business. That was the way that I think that it could manifest for Edible Madison, you know. And so you've got this crazy busy job at Organic Valley, your publisher of a magazine, and you decided to take on some extra work on the side to help Farmer Direct Organic launch. Right, yes. (laughs) The entrepreneurial gene is strong in you, whether or not you knew it. uh, That's right. The desire to keep doing more. So I guess talk a little bit about how you ended up working with Farmer Direct and what that's been like. Oh, that's fun. Sure. So, well, when I founded the magazine, I started up Heirloom Marketing and Media uh, in order to just found the magazine. And right around that time, literally as I was getting the magazine up and going and getting all the structures in place before we ever published our first copy, I met the founder of Farmer Direct Co-op. His name is Jason Freeman. And Farmer Direct Co-op 
which is based in Canada, they were an associative member of Crop Cooperative, which is the co-op of Organic Valley brand. And we were having our annual farmer membership meeting and he was there representing his co-op and we got to know each other. And he had a dream at that time that he really, they had been primarily a bulk sales of grains and legumes, all organic, all from family farms, all very transparent process and very much a fair trade leader. But he had dreamed that they could create a consumer brand. So he asked me if I would help with that. And I said, sure, I'd love to help with that. That sounds really fun. So we went through a whole process with focus groups and lots of steps to decide on what the name would be. And we ended up sticking with Farmer Direct Organic and we ended up launching the first products. And that was eventually a project that we got to work on together, which was very fun. And continue to work on together as it continues to grow and explore its future, which is always exciting. That's one of the things I love about working with brands is that it's always a journey. You know, there's not a, you start and then stop and then that's static from there. Like with consumer product brands, it's always what's next and how do we continue pushing our mission forward? How do we continue solving more of our customers' problems and what does that look like? And it's just always a fun, creative challenge. So. Yeah, totally. I know it's interesting to think about that it's been over 10 years that we've been involved with Farmer Direct and where things are now. And it's just, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, indeed. So at one point, you ended up kind of leaving Organic Valley. You obviously already mentioned that you handed off Edible as well. But I know that there's a little bit more in that story before Kindship. So you ended up working Mm -hmm. with Another really awesome company, Wonder State Coffee, formerly known as Kickapoo Coffee. And I think one of the things that I think is really cool about your time there, not only did you really grow e-commerce sales, which I think a lot of people listening to this will be like, what? How'd you do that? (laughs) But you also helped them rebrand and not just like a slight package refresh, but literally rename change the signage across all the stores and the website, update packaging, like the whole thing. And I think that's really intimidating for a lot of companies, a lot of brands, because they're worried that they'll lose all their brand equity in that transition. And they're worried that they'll lose a bunch of customers. So I think people would love to hear what Mm -hmm. that experience was like, how you can take a well-known, well-loved brand and shift it into a new (laughs) well-loved, well-known brand without taking a big hit in the process. Yeah. So I started out at Kickapoo Coffee. Like you said, that that was their name. They were 11 years into business at that point. They had recently redone their packaging, their beautiful kind of evolution of their 12 ounce offerings. And they had opened their very first retail location. First off, they're a roastery in Broca, Wisconsin. And then they decided to open a retail space in Milwaukee. They had had a lot going on the year before I started. The Milwaukee Cafe, they had rebranded their packaging, which really kind of took them to the next level and really elevated the brand. And so when I came in, they were very interested in now taking all of that work and relaunching their website. And so that was really one of my first projects was to recreate their e-commerce presence, like you mentioned. And I got to work with you on that project, which was a lot of fun. 
and just re-envisioning yep. what that could look like and elevating the user experience and just overall making the shopping more fluid. We had some new subscription offerings that we put into play and just really worked hard to make that site really perform and also to poise for growth because the idea is that it would be a website that the engine behind that website would really take us out several years, if not more. So that was our first project. The company was a small team. So I had come from a much larger organization and here I was now within this smaller team. So it was a fun period for me in a lot of ways because I got a lot of more hands-on experience, but also was very much looking forward to expanding my team. I had some great support, but about a year in, I brought on Shizue Roshidashi to my team and her role eventually grew into brand and marketing manager and Mm -hmm. a bit into us working together. She really started asking some really important questions about the name of the company, Kickapoo Coffee. And I think obviously this part of the conversation runs really deep and probably deserves its own conversation. But for the purposes of this conversation, I'll focus a little bit more on the rebrand itself. But we went through a really introspective journey as a leadership team at Kickapoo Coffee at that time to make the decision to change the name of the company because we agreed that we were appropriating the name of the Kickapoo Nation. And in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, benefiting from the fact that they were a lesser known tribes. And so that was a process, you know, as a process for the founders of the company to have that realization and really embrace it. As you can imagine, that was not an easy process. But the thing is, is that they knew that was the right thing to do. And the company at its core is a very deeply mission driven company. And so this then evolved it for them into coming into more alignment in their mission and evolving more closely into what their mission really was meant to be. So we embarked on a complete, utter overhaul rebrand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we renamed Wonder State Coffee, which was a process for picking. And we had to handle every aspect needed to be changed over. And what we did is the communication strategy was that we let the public know early on that we were going to be changing things over. We acknowledged yeah. upfront the appropriation and what we were going to do to fix it. Yeah. And so when you talk about bringing people along in communication, That was the intention there is that we're embarking on something that we don't even know entirely what it's going to take. And this is huge and has Mm -hmm. all kinds of implications for the business. But what matters most is that we're going to make this change. It's the right thing to do. And we're going to communicate about it. And we're probably going to make mistakes along the way. Right. But that to me is authentic communication and marketing and is the correct approach So we did that and then we just dove in and worked. We worked as quickly as we could. As you can imagine, it was a multi-tentacled project as an understatement. You know, at that point we had three retail cafes, plus the roastery, plus all of the public facing marketing platforms and all of it. And we had to, you know, develop the brand from the ground up. 
taking and obviously infusing what we had in the past, but really recreating. Super big undertaking. And it sounds like communication was the strategy for making that rollout seamless or at least effective. Were there any hiccups along the relaunch? Well, I think, you know, our intention was to move as quickly as we could as a marketing team. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always quick. I think that in all in all, we ended up taking more than a year to launch the new name. And I think had we done things a little differently, maybe just doing a little more revealing of the new name quicker, we were trying to make everything sort of cohesively roll out so as to take care of everything at once and just be able to move on beyond the name Kickapoo Coffee. yeah. Yeah. And so what happened was we were very close to doing that and then COVID came on and then we had delays with packaging availability and all of these components. And, you know, our community who was following along with this, there became a dynamic tension there of, well, what is taking so long? Is this genuine? You know, all those intentions we had set out with then became under question because we were taking longer than what felt good for us and for everybody else. And so we pivoted at that point and decided to go ahead and switch over without having everything totally in place. We were still close. You know, we ended up announcing, I think in like, I can't remember, maybe late May, early June, releasing and kind of, we sort of like turned the switch on our social media and got everything lined out. And then I think it was probably a month or two later that the packaging then came. And yeah. But it was really important for us to be listening and being sensitive. And the founders really stepped up at that time and took responsibility for some of the holdups. The sense of urgency, when you look at just from a cultural standpoint, being a white male-owned company keeping focus on the sensitivity and the sense of urgency was not always achieved in the way that the team Mm -hmm. ultimately wanted it to be. So again, it was a very complex and deep process to go through this and mistakes are made along the way for sure. And the best you can hope for when there's mistakes like that is that everybody is learning and that everybody is growing from it. And that that is contributing, hopefully, to making the world a better place. But it sure felt, really, the day that we switched everything over and our cafes were able to take down signs, it was a very exciting moment to be able to do that and move forward with the new brand. Yeah, I bet those big projects take so long that by the time they launch to the public, you're almost like just tired tired of looking at it internally. And it's just like, I just want to get this out to the world. Like I want to quit manipulating little pixels or like tweaking little things or seeing all these executions. And I'm excited to give birth to this new baby and share it with everyone. So that must've been just a big moment on so many levels. And it seems, you know, at least from my perspective, it seems like it's gone pretty well too, which hopefully will give a lot of brands that are listening to this, some courage if they're about to embark on any big changes to their brand, whether it's just yeah. a package overhaul or a refresh or anything else like that. It is possible. You it just got to do it strategically and, yes. and roll it out with your community. Sounds like one of the big takeaways. If you yeah, try sure. to hold it really close and do this big reveal, sometimes that can backfire like a Tropicana, you know, rebrand from back in the day. It's just one of the well-known case studies of they launched their new 
orange juice packaging and it just got rejected by the consumer right. market and, and they had to like yeah. take steps backwards. But if you kind of work alongside the community, uh, work with them to be vulnerable and be authentic and kind of share your updates and roll it out with the community, then have higher chance of success. Yeah. And I think, you know, just to add to that, just it really is progress, not perfection. And when you think you're communicating mm-hmm. enough, you always can be communicating more. And I think now more than ever, people want communication. They want to feel included. And that is not always, I think, culturally in business, we're not always, as a business culture, we're not hardwired to be vulnerable, to be softer, to communicate the behind the scenes and so I think my hope is that business culture continues to shift in that direction because then people can actually come along with your mission. And I think in that way that you're really creating like lifelong consumer partners. Beautiful. I love it. And now you're on to your next phase of your entrepreneurial journey with the Kindship Group. So tell us a little bit more about what spurred that idea and what it's been like to move from working mostly in house to all of a sudden now being on agency side and pulling together this amazing team of collaborators and starting to bring your wisdom to a lot more brands and companies. Yeah, it's been really exciting to create Kindship Group. I've gotten to work with so many amazing people throughout all of this that we've covered. So my Mm -hmm. vision was how can I bring all of those people together to do work together and have fun and really create change and help entrepreneurs and teams really grow their mission and continue to grow their impact in the world. So I knew for sure that I wanted to keep helping businesses in this way. And I wanted to be able to help more people. And, you know, when you're working on inside of a company, my energy, even though I've had multiple things going on at once in my career, for sure, you're still pouring 110% of your energy into the brand when you're on the inside. And I think what is exciting to me to now be more on the agency side or the outside is that I still get to feel like a complete team member with the brands and organizations that we're working with, but I get to have more of those relationships and help more people and then get to collaborate with people like yourself and to really bring our skill sets And another piece of the vision with Kindship Group is that we're really able to meet businesses where they're at. We are very much core a marketing agency, but I really am just calling us a full service agency because we also offer strategic planning and sales strategy and impact services. And, you know, we're really here to help however we can and stay nimble and collaborative to be able to bring talent in to match needs I think too, from having been on the inside for so long, I know a lot about the necessity for prioritization and the sensitivities to budget. And I really wanted to create something that could also meet people where they were at there too, to make sure that we're able to customize work to really come in and say, okay, well, here are all of your challenges. Let's now together prioritize them so that this can feel sustainable for your organization. Figuring that out, getting that puzzle together is really fun for me. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. I've always wanted to build out some type of creative, collaborative kind of agency model as well. I think the thing that always held me back is that all my 
creative friends that were agency side were all off doing their own specific niche. So they were like in outdoor active lifestyle or they were in hospitality or they were in, you know, tech or something like that. So it was, it never really made sense to build some sort of collaborative with all those disparate fields. Like we were all experts in different things. So when you announced that you were kind of going agency side and building out a collaborative, I was just super excited to Mm -hmm. merge or to join up in that and help bring that to life, but also just to have modern species become part of a collaborative where we all get to share in our mission of helping sustainable mission-driven brands and product companies help them grow their brands, but also through that grow their mission. So I was super excited about that. And it's been really fun collaboration process so far, and I'm excited to see where it goes. So I'm curious, what's your vision? Share your vision for kindship in the future with our Mm. audience. Well, I'm definitely in a very curious and observatory role in kindship group. I have vision for it. And I'm also just so excited to see how it unfolds. It definitely feels like a co-collaboration with the universe (laughs) in a lot of ways. (laughs) You know, even just seeing the types of entrepreneurs and businesses that are starting to come in and ask for help and collaborate with, you know, there's so much in business that can be so calculated and so strategic. And then there's also just the natural flow of things too. But we are starting out Kindship as the full service agency. And what we're going to do with that is just really sustainably build it. Our first and foremost priority is creating really good experiences for our customers and really giving them the attention and intentionality that they deserve. So we definitely have growth plans, but they're centered around being able to do the work in the right way. And our workplace culture is really important to me. I really want, and I'm probably a lot of people listening, you know, we've all worked in different work environments. And this was an opportunity for me to step back and say, well, what am I trying to create here? You know, we spend a lot of our time in our work a lot of our time. And for me, workplace cultures, they're communities, they're microcosms of our larger communities. And I think that mainstream business culture is often a place where we're expected to kind of turn that off traditionally and have sort of the professional life and the personal switch that you turn on and off. And the reality is, is that's not actually how human beings work. (laughs) We're actually integrated, holistic humans, right? So I think that there's a shift in workplace culture. And my hope, what I need to believe is that there's going to be a shift more and more in that direction where workplace cultures become more intentional and they're more nurturing communities for their employees and their team, and that they're there really to serve their employees and serve their communities. And that's a big mind shift, I think, for business in general. And that's something that I want to be a part of co-creating with all the Kindship Group team is, well, what does it look like for us? And so when I think about the vision for Kindship Group, I want that to always be a big cornerstone of how we grow sustainably so that we can serve our customers in a really right way. And then also preserve, some people call it work-life balance, but just an integrated lifestyle, which, you know, is why we're remote by design that helps the customer because we really have no boundaries. You know, we're able to bring in 
team members and talent from anywhere and not have those constraints. And then we're also able to have team members who can be right where they want to be in the inspired life that they're living. They don't have to move. They don't have to sacrifice any of that. So those are some of the things I'm excited about seeing where things go. We also, down the road, I'm excited to keep exploring publishing. You know, it's in my blood. And I think Mm -hmm. that's an area that I could see us developing a kind ship. We already offer full service self-publishing support for authors, but actually becoming more of a publishing company would be really exciting to get that storytelling arm even more solidified. And I'd also like to see us have a foundation at some point. And then as you and I have talked about a lot, what are the opportunities with products and things? So Kindship Group, it is this agency right now that's really here for services. And I see a lot of opportunity in the future for different ways that we can be helpful in the movement. That's beautiful. I think one of the things I really appreciate about your leadership style slash what you're trying to build with Kindship Group is that a lot of agencies end up becoming these really brutal workplaces because you're just constantly trying to work, 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 encourage everyone to get in 60 to 80 hours because you need to keep up with all these tight deadlines and do all this amazing creative work and serve all these clients and so on and so forth. And it can burn people out pretty quickly, especially like creative people who need to feel more emotionally happy to do their best work and be rested and so on and so forth. But I think what you have been creating with Kindship is a little bit more intentional in that you're not just trying to build a great experience for the clients. You're also trying to build a great experience for the team. And on one of our other episodes, we talk about the value of connection before content. So I'll just plug one of the things that I think is beautiful about the Kindship group team meetings is that we always take the time in the beginning, even if it takes up sometimes half the meeting, if it needs to, we take the time to make sure the team members are connecting and kind of sharing their stories and their life and checking in with each other before we dive into the project to-do list. And I think that little methods and little habits like that, I think really create a whole different culture that probably is how you've been able to have teams that kind of collaborate for so long, like you're edible medicine team, you know, having that same core team for like 10 years and having this group of collaborators that you've worked with for your whole career that are excited to jump in on this with you. So just wanted to give a little hat tip to you that I think that's beautiful. What you're trying to create, it is pretty unique for those who've worked in those kind of brutal agencies would totally appreciate the fact that you're trying to make it a great experience for all. Thank you, Gage. Well, thank you again for taking a little time out to chat with us on Evolve CPG about your career and all the beautiful things you're working on. And we're looking forward to seeing where the Kindship Group goes, both selfishly as part of the Kindship Group, but also as a show that's you know in support of mission-driven businesses and brand leaders. So thank you again. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Awesome. Well, we'll chat more soon. Keep evolving. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Jamie and her company, go to kindshipgroup.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, hit that like button and share it with your colleagues. And of course, send us feedback and ideas for who we should talk to next at evolve at modernspecies.com. 
And learn about our new online community at evolvecpg.com. See you next week.